Hello, all, and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. The show features the open-minded musings of two late 50s curmudgeons staring late down 40s. the... Late 40s. Fo- don't do that to me, Bill, please. Oh, my, notes are, my notes are here. Sorry. It's I a, it's beg a, you. It auto-corrected. We are staring down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I am your co-host, Mr. Bill Scurry, of something called American Caesar Enterprises, which, uh, as my co-host will attest, is the basis for those little inflexible green army men toys that kids used to play with in the cultural stage between hoop trundling and the PlayStation 5. What, wait, what's hoop trundling? What is that? It's that thing where you run alongside a metal hoop with a stick. Oh, and you hit it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you you hit it, you beat it with a stick. (laughs) You're you're really aligning a lot of toy history. I'm just rounding up. Yeah, yeah. The only thing between you know being a being an urchin on the streets of London in the 1870s, hitting a, I think those hoops were usually wooden, man. Hitting a hoop with a stick. And the PlayStation, what did you say? PlayStation 5? You didn't even go PlayStation 1. No, PlayStation 5. You went PlayStation 5. Yeah, yeah. So the only toy of any import in between those two things. is the Green Army Man. Little plastic Green Army Man. Yeah. We both had a, I bet you had a bunch of those. I had a few of those. I did. And it was like, that was one of those things where I'm like, okay, uh, I'm supposed to think this is fun. And it clearly is not because it's just a green, a green thing that's not posable, you know? I do remember that there were variations on that, like the same kind of little blobby kind of. And kids, if you don't know what you're talking about, these toys are everywhere. Still in the 80s. Well, they the were in little, Toy Story too, remember? They were part of really actually characters shitty, in Toy That's Story. right. But like probably made in Taiwan, little tiny plastic things. But I remember there were ones that weren't just army guys. Like you probably could get like farm animals and feel like I had others, but I definitely had a few army dudes. And then they would come with a big plastic mat. I did. Like mountains I, and I valleys. I did, didn't have that plastic mat. No, you didn't have that. No. And then there'd also be little plastic things. There were cannons. And you would set up little you'd set up little things. I'm sure you could get some cowboys and Indians. But here's the problem. This has been the toy nostalgia cast. By that guys. point, by that point, I already had G.I. Joe's, which are eminently posable with weapons. G.I. Joe's were much more impressive. There you go. So game over, man. Game over. So uh, welcome. My name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show Spectacular. And uh, what do we do on the show? Sometimes we talk about toys, Bill. Sometimes it's relevant. Sometimes we even get uh, to the no- point. Sometimes. <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. we get- Dude, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was even a podcast I like, and literally they made it to 30 minutes before getting to the topic. And I'm just like, how, like, how much do you think I like you guys? Like, I'm not related to you. Like, Shut the fuck up. So I'm reminded of that now. Anyway, what do we ostensibly do on this show? We talk about something that's happening, something that's hot, something that's new in the culture. And we try to pick it apart with our old desiccated brains. And this week, we considered this two weeks ago. Thereabouts. And uh, what did we do last week? I forget already. We did the Riverfront Brawl. Riverfront, right. We had, that's already old news. A good thing yes. we hit it when we, we did. We moved on right? past that, yeah. Right. Although, you know, it'll come back when the when the guys who are, you know, arrested for that are, are run for Senate. In and they're yeah, CPAC speakers. Yeah, CPAC. You joke, but it, it ain't that far I away. do not joke. Uh, anyway, so this is a song. Some have said the song of the summer. Song of the summer. Was that a concept when we were kids? It was Walt Disney's uh, racial hit from the late 50s. Is that movie still? Can you still see that movie? Get that movie? 
like yeah you if buy, you want to is it available you gotta buy a dvd from europe um it's still it's, really? it's difficult it's a little byzantine but you can get a hold of it so the song of the summer maybe is a song that a teaser video went up on tiktok music video of uh it is called planet of the bass bill tell us the 611 on planet of the bass oh i have here rankin bass maybe i looked up the wrong topic <laughs> uh, i was confused i was reading about cornelius and and zira oh not planet of the Apes, planet of the bass I see. planet of the bass ale uh planet of the bass is a spoof song by a brooklyn-based comedian named kyle gordon 30 years old wait hang on i thought kyle gordon was a nascar driver but when you look up kyle gordon you don't get that who am i thinking of I thought his name was yeah. That's that's another Kyle Gordon, is it not? I believe uh, I put Kyle Gordon in Wikipedia, and the only thing I find is Planet of the Bass. Uh, so far as I who know, who am I thinking of? I don't know. I, Kyle Gordon is what All I would right. say. Keep talking, and I'm going to figure out who I'm thinking. Talk amongst who yourself. So okay. this this Kyle Gordon, this particular one who's not in a flame retardant suit inside of a uh, car going around an oval, is a guy with a long track record of TikTok videos. And long track record, I mean, to the beginning of pandemic, I believe, uh, and a whole hoary host of bite sized comedy ideas. Kyle Gordon has a background in the loathsome art of acapella and what appears to be a ton of, <laughs> a ton of summer camp experience. So a lot of this yeah. comedy is based on the premise of musicals and heightened characters and small bites. So, okay, by the way, Jeff Gordon is a NASCAR star. Very good. Okay. He's, he's the guy who hosted SNL. That's how big he is in NASCAR. And there's also Kyle Busch. Very good. NASCAR okay, we got that so, out of the way. So, Planet of the Bass is a carefully designed send-up of 1990s Euro dance tracks, uh, which, of course, had a crossover moment. If you're old enough, like us, you remember this, and it was definitely during Gordon's childhood because I believe he's 30 years old. So he maybe has, uh, would have flitted into his crib or through the womb uh, that would have come through into his ears or his protean ears into his early subconscious members. So, so there's a heavy inspiration of Aqua, Ace of Bass, groups of that ilk, um, and for what the record is, Kyle Gordon is the songwriter and singer. And the, this is one thing I was actually... No, he, he co-wrote it with someone who's a writer for, for our, your buddy of mine, Jimmy Fallon. Right. Um, the actual yeah. female vocalist has not been trumpeted nearly enough. I, I had to look, I had to dig around a little bit to figure out whose voice is that. Because it, there's obviously a, a sobriquet, there's a, there's a character name. But the lady's name is uh, Chrissy Poland, who's a professionally trained vocalist in New York City. And, and, and if you're going to listen to this, I figure you should at least know her name because she hasn't gotten nearly as, a, as much credit as Kyle Gordon is getting for coming up with the whole enterprise. Anyway. Uh, the song was released, as Noah says, in bite-sized chunks on TikTok. Uh, it appeared to be accompanied by two or three different teasers. The effect was the same. Uh, the characters of DJ Crazy Times, who's played by Gordon, and a woman named Biljana Electronica, who was played, I think, most... It's a great name. It's a great name. Most notably by this, uh, I think she's a Brooklyn actor, comedian named Audrey Trulinger. Um, the video that I remember, the way I want to remember it is they're dancing around the Oculus downtown, the transit hall, uh, transit mall center, this gigantic abomination that I vowed to never step foot into when it went billions and billions of dollars over budget for no good fucking reason at it's, all. It's, it's, is it on the former site of the World Trade Center or near It's adjacent it? to it. It's adjacent to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Santiago Calatrava designed and then vastly retrenched. But, you know, for whatever reason, it made sense to shoot it there because it has a very, um, I don't know, kind of a, a brutalist look. Futuristic look, yeah. yeah they, got kicked, go. they got kicked out for filming without a permit, but they got the footage they needed. Fuck the permits. You just got to wild Fuck the permits. Permits. Shoot wild. I, I tell you, when you elect me, I'm just going to cut regulations and everything will be 
Utopia. So the two characters uh, were wearing ridiculous throwback outfits, including a lot of like mesh and, and gigantic like jinko, uh, huge pants and 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 yeah. wraparound goggles. Yeah, the big sunglasses. That, the big uh, sunglasses. Crazy also. times. Yeah, exactly. They and they're singing English-ish lyrics. Which kind of conjure the image of a Western-influenced Slavic pop stars, which again is like it's hard to figure out exactly who you're talking about. It's more a feeling, it's a vibe, and it, and I think it does a pretty good job of grabbing that vibe. So the snippet itself, the the preview went on to score 100 million views on Twitter and nearly that many on TikTok, which I guess was the sort of native form because that's where Kyle Gordon's been doing most of his heavy lifting. Uh, just last week at TD Garden in Boston, Jonas Brothers invited Gordon Trulinger to come up and sing their song to what looked like a generally baffled crowd. And <laughs> I, I could, you can't tell in that video. No, there there was a lot of social media people f- focused on themselves, and the, I would say, granted, it's just like. I don't get how, if, for instance, the Jonas Brothers crowd, I'm assuming, is a TikTok age audience. How could they not know what this was? Jonas Brothers were big 15 years ago, dude. I feel like Jonas Brothers people are adults now. Well, they're adults and adultish. It's not quite the Taylor Swift crowd, but you're still it's still holding on to they're not quite Harry Styles, but they're holding on to a pretty core audience. They do trend younger. And a lot of the women in the really? audience who I saw, yeah. I just feel like your average Jonas Brothers fan is out of college now. Well, like, I, think about it. They were thir- if they were 13 in, what, 2008 when the Jonas Brothers hit? I'm guessing. I might be way off with that. Someone please correct me. That would make them almost 30 now. Okay, but I also assume that they've regenerated their audience because they're sort of a proto-boyishness to the Jonas Brothers. You know what I mean? To say the word Jonas Brothers connotes a younger audience. Anyway, um, and I think the audience that the, the, the impression I got was that the audience or many in the audience were largely unaware if it was sincere or a joke. It's a strange position to be in. Not not quite the splash you would have hoped, I think. Anyway, since then, um, just a few days ago, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, they dropped the full length uh, st- studio shot music video that has a different concept. It's the same exact track, but it was a full length video. Uh, same actors, but um, a more developed um canned sort of visual of, of outer space and you there's something and, about actors you're not mentioning uh what's that so there were three teaser videos and the first one was that woman audrey trulinger playing bilia electronica the second one there's they introduce a new woman playing the same character same voice same recording yeah lip sync the third yeah. one yet a new woman and this was part of the parody and by the way the lyrics are parodying the nonsense you know faux english of those songs a parody of the fact that a lot of those groups had interchangeable women and they'd replace them interchangeably. And the, the videos believe, yeah, were the, lip-synced by models. Right. The full video brings back the woman from the first one. Trulinger, yeah. So, Trulinger, thank you. Um, so, uh, Gordon has been on a push on local affiliates. Is what me and Noah have watched a TV bits with him. He's doing, he's, he was talked to up in, in Variety. There's, he's essentially, this is a teaser for a full album of comedy songs to come. And I, I would say maybe this is one of them. The character Crazy Times, is DJ Crazy Times rather, is just one character in his repertoire. Um, and I think that most of his stuff is going to be character-based comedy. Yes. Uh, he's, he's been doing this for years. I've watched a few other videos yeah, yeah, of other sure. characters. He was doing it on stage at venues in Brooklyn. And, you know, he's been in the comedy scene in New York for yeah. probably close to 10 like, years. Like many of the people we know. In fact, we're, we're probably not that far away from him. We probably be. know a few people who know him. Or, so, other than the fact that we're 20 years older than him. But, so what do you think, Noah? How, does this, uh, how did this whole phenomenon go down with you today? 
Yeah, so um, it's all right. You know, I mean, the song is kind of funny and kind of catchy and nothing wrong with it. And it is a solid work of parody, you know. Uh, I mean, the essence of parody is is the details, you know, getting the little things right and having that resonance. And, and while I was never into this type of music, you know, being 15 years old in 1990 and 25 years old at the end of the 90s, it certainly was part of an important formative moment of my life. It was everywhere, and I was certainly aware of it. And those details kind of, you know, permeated my my awareness, even though I never bought any of it. And, you know, the details are super familiar. You know, the look, the blank look on the female singer's face, um, the the production sound, there's kind of a veering sound to it. Very heavy bass is uh, is an element of that style of music. The male singer uh, rapping in a flat monotone. Um, there's sort of an angle, like, I, I, my first thought was a fisheye lens. It's not a fisheye lens, but there's sort of an angle you take to it uh, that that you're shooting the singers at kind of uh, skewed a little or from very high up or very low down the nonsense and as i said the nonsense you know poorly rendered english vocals um some songs that might be familiar when you mentioned like ace of bass and aqua i mean aqua is a big one now because barbie girls having a moment again because of barbie uh but the songs i remember there's i've got the power rhythm is a dancer uh what is love the song that they use on snl for the the roxbury brothers hadaway i think uh hadaway and then you were thinking Another Night by... Who did Another Night? Real McCoy. That's a terrible band name. Uh, so Eurodance is the genre name. There's a, there's a, there's a variant genre name for that. I always like Euro NRG as a music genre. Like the letters NRG, you know, pun on energy. It's great. Um, so this song is all right. It's well produced. It's reasonably catchy. We complain on the show a lot of times when we talk about comedy that it's the first pass comedy. This is not... You know, Gordon either spent a lot of time or, or really has a gift for, I mean, the lyrics are pretty funny. You know, they're kind of this nonsense throwing in random ideas about sex and love and peace and brotherhood, but it's all kind of nonsense. And um, I'm not going to quote it. It's not worth quoting. You can you can look it up. But um, yeah, it's, you know, he put some real good work into it. The full video is very impressive. I mean, there's guys in like alien masks and props and stuff, and it, it looks very well done. So, you know, definite A for effort here, uh, if nothing else. But I don't think there's a lot behind the concept. And unfortunately, that's the world we're in. And there's an article, an interview with this guy in Variety that really kind of sums it up for me. First of all, let me complain about whoever this interviewer was in Variety. They said something about uh, very few comedy acts had reached over into the mainstream. The only examples I can think of are Weird Al Yankovic and The Lonely Island. Like, come on. First of all, go back to the 50s when a comedy album was like in the top five on the charts every few weeks. Like, you know, this person has never heard of Alan Sherman. So, so much for being a music journalist. Anyway, so this interview, really, you see how vapid this guy is. So there's a lyric... Um, that he sings, that DJ Crazy Time sings, women are my favorite guy. <laughs> so the interviewer says, how did you come up with that lyric? And Kyle Gordon says, I think it came to me in a dream many years ago. And it's just this phrase that's been swimming around in my head. You know, it was sort of a religious experience, actually. So it just kind of flowed out of me. It really wasn't me. It was sort of like a spirit that took over my body and wrote that for me. So there's not a lot of insight here. This guy isn't particularly interesting. 
of course, plenty of musicians have nothing to say, but I just can't get past the fact that while this song is perfectly fine as a joke and even as a pop single, there's something just really amateurish about this guy. And the song's fine for now, but it's a real flash in the pan. And, and I don't, I'm not surprised he kind of flopped at the Jonas Brothers thing. If he did, I couldn't tell. But, you know, this is, this is pretty thin. Well, I uh, think of this as piece a character piece in an array of other character pieces. And I went back and I looked at a lot of his TikTok work. And I usually am loath to do that because I don't, I don't use TikTok other than to see something that somebody forwarded to me. Um, I don't find new talent on TikTok, nor do I look at, for, look at it for recreation. Uh, but for some reason, the moving little boxes, the preview boxes on TikTok kind of caught my eye. And I noticed that a lot of what he does is a small 15 to 30 minute snippets of character work. And um, a lot of the... Comedians... 15 to 30 seconds, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's what I said, seconds. Right? You said minutes. Sorry, seconds. Um, 15 to 30 eons of character work. They were... Um... The, the bits and pieces that he did were very reminiscent of, you know, a lot of the comedians that I worked with in New York when I was making films over there were a lot of character-based comedians, people from uh, the UCB and, and, and Magnet Theater and Pitt. And I love that cultivation of character. Um, it was fun to watch. It was fun to, like, maybe make something small that would get some level of virality to it. Some of the things that we made were okay. It did, nothing went huge, but I was just always happy to be around competent people who made me laugh. Like, a lot of creative, lot of creative process of people who were ginning up characters. And so his TikTok is filled with all these bits and pieces. Like, for instance, one of them, it, it's he's got a, a gang member in the 50s, and he's wearing rolled-up denim jeans a white t-shirt with a pack of cigarettes tucked into the rolled up sleeve. And he's speaking like he's a character in West Side Story, very glibly. And I'm like, okay, it's, and it was hilarious. It's just short. It comes in and it's out. And um, it's, it's, it's a nice little well-observed character piece. And another one, he's in the same, uni- uh, same garb and he's playing a guitar. And the song is called, For Some Reason, Rock and Roll in the 1950s. And he's singing a very Elvis Presley-esque song about, I'm going to marry my cousin who's only 13 years old. And I'm like, I this is that's funny. It's just take one detail of Jerry Lee Lewis and it's like, let's let's make a small goofy makeup up. And I I his whole thing, he had something like 50 videos that were all just based on these one little character takes. One one was a one was a character, was a a child in 1918, and it was a child laborer um, named Fabrizio. Yeah, drinking poison. Yeah. He's got a gift for parody. He's got a gift for the details of parody. I and absolutely. The, however, Planet of the Base is for me, it was perfectly built as the teaser bumper. Like I didn't need when I saw the I didn't realize that what I saw in the first place that was shot in the Oculus was a teaser for a full length thing coming. I thought like, oh, that's great. We all had that moment. We saw that thing. This was a good precy of what this kid does. Right. Was and, he plan? Wait, here's the thing. Was he planning to make the full thing even before it went viral? He must have. I have to assume because it was like unless right. he got his shit together and put the whole shoot over in two weeks or three weeks. Maybe, now I, I assume maybe. these were te- these were teas. Well, the whole thing is just designed to flog a full length album, which is coming out in a couple of weeks or so. So yeah, I think that this was a big art project for him. Plan and planted the base. The snippet took off. The video took off. I don't need more than the teaser. Take the TikTok. <laughs> no, and it's fun. No, I, I really don't either. It's yeah, like you know uh, the entire thing. He put a lot of effort into, into the entire thing. Like you said, it's written. The, the actual text of the song, the production quality, 
the actual character of the videos that he shot, his commitment to the character, his acting as the character, um, you know, his his co-singer, the, the co-vocalist, uh, Chrissy Poland, they're great. However, it's like it exists very good, I would say, as a 30 second long TikTok. I don't don't need any more to it than that to, to live inside of an array of his other characters. That seems to be like the perfect form for me. Bratislava, all the women in the world, let me see your beautiful faces. He was primed to go viral, so why this? Why has this caught on so much? Why do people like it so much? Why the interest? Why is everyone interviewing him? Why is this popular? Well, uh, before we went hot on the mics, you mentioned a flash in the pan, which is always, you know, virality is one thing, but flash in the pan is another thing in terms of like trying to adjust the phenomenon for its transience. And uh, I, I mean, you could only hope for this sort of transient. That, that's a great deal. But I mean, the, the form of Planet of the Base is a unique product uh, given the form from the perfect media, the arena media, the or media arena of TikTok, I should say. It's a, it, the thing itself is a weird visual jangle of characters, visual ciphers, um, you know, professionally made song filled with goofy lyrics, uh, the, the English-ish. Um, you know, it's exactly the kind... Of, this is weird. I'm, I'm going to make, make a paradox here. It's exactly the kind of predictable thing you could bank on becoming successful even though you couldn't predict the pieces of this thing. It, it, it looks just weird enough and it's built just enough for TikTok out of TikTok that it makes sense that it um, that it's gone popular. It's gone, you know, virally rogue. And whether or not people understand, if you're, if you're below 48 years old in age, if you get the real McCoy references about how, you know, how closely it conforms to mid to early 90s, uh, Euro pop and things like that. And, you know, there's this whole bit, you know, this is so lovingly um, called back to, to Yugoslavia. You know, this, and right around the time Yugoslavia broke up, you know, Yugoslavia was a, one enormous country and the, the perils of the middle 1990s broke into like seven countries, you know, which we don't know much about it. We don't, like, none of us have been to Yugoslavia. I know it on a map. I know about Tito. But it's like, you know, what's the difference between North Macedonia and, and you know, uh, Ljubljana and, and Skopje and Bosnia-Herzegovina and Croatia and all these places that were all Yugoslavia? You know, I'm sure Sarajevo had a different culture than uh, Tirana, Albania did, or, you know, any of these places. But to us, it's just one gigantic Balkan region. And, you know, in a way, we sort of think about it as, as a place where culture maybe went to die or get static and they heard one song. I don't they, think that's where all these acts are from. No, no, no. But in particular, this is from, they keep talking about, they're from Bratislava. You know, that's that's where the... Oh, I see. Yeah, that's the, the character's I origin. I missed that. That there are a lot of details here. Okay, I miss, I just think of the, like, for example, Aqua was from Denmark. Oh, yeah, yeah, lot, yeah. I, I think of most of these acts from, like, Germany. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's why he picked Bratislava in particular as his as his uh, origin point. That's why her name is Biljana. She's Slavic. They're all supposed to be Slavic characters. Um, yeah, and that's like, that's just weird and exotic enough. It's arcane enough that it has the veneer of truth. But it's like, I thought of it a little bit like Borat, Noah, where, you know, none of us, no one really knows what, what Kazakhstan is. We don't know much about that whole region of the Caucasus. And it's like, uh, Borat's version of Almaty, Kazakhstan sounds funny enough to us. It sounds correct enough. We don't know if any of those tr facts are truthful. And in fact, they're not. But it's using bits and pieces of something that we have a fuzzy hazy conception of to make a great joke out of and it's not entirely fair but who gives a fuck it's funny for us uh yeah i mean you know you really got it like it's the details it's all about the details and 
I said this in a lot of episodes, nostalgia is such a powerful force. It's becoming more powerful as, you know, maybe this is a millennial, and I don't mean the, the you know, the, the age group millennials. I mean, millennial, like an end of the world feeling, right? We're digging more into nostalgia. Um, and I think particularly there's nostalgia for the 90s because people are, a lot of people are saying like that was the peak of humanity. You know, it was post-Cold War, but pre-9-11 was when, you know, internet there's, was fun. And, yeah, there's and a lot of 90s nostalgia right world, now. Things like that. You're right. Yeah, a lot of that. Uh, we talked about the timing is good because Barbie Girl's having a moment because of the Barbie movie. And again, I think the song and the videos are well done. You know, they're well made. They're they're The song is catchy in and of itself. You find yourself humming it and singing it and... The lyrics are funny, if not profound. And yeah, you know, this guy was plugged into the comedy scene for a while. It sounds like he knew people. He co-wrote the song of the guy from Jimmy Fallon. There's some quote in some article where he talks about he met one of the women in the videos. He says there were a bunch of comedy people who rented a house upstate and I met her there. So clearly he was in the cool kid Brooklyn comedy club. So he had connections. He was he was primed to go viral. You know, luck, luck favors the well-prepared, as they said. Uh, he won the viral lottery, but he was using a good lottery system. He was he was combining numbers. By the way, I remember watching like an infomercial in the mid-90s where they said, buy the system, this will help you win the lottery because by combining numbers. They just keep saying the way you win the lottery, our trick is combining numbers. And they never say what that means. It's got electrolytes. And I remember spending time, <laughs> exactly. Like thinking like, what could that possibly mean? Combining numbers helps you win the lottery. But then I read... The only way lottery systems do work, they make a lot of money for the people who sell lottery systems. Live, it never die. Women are my favorite guy. Now, tell me, would you have like Planet of the Bass as a kid? Planet of the Big Mouth Billy Bass. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I would have thought that this comedy was more profound than I think it is now. Uh, I never really liked this music. And um, I... You know, compare it to, so let's bring up, I don't know if it's an elephant in a room, but like, all right, who's another famous musical parodist? Weird Al Yankovic. I love Weird Al. I think Weird Al's a genius, and I liked Weird Al when I was a kid. I always thought he was funny, but I'm looking back on like when Weird Al first hit in the early 80s with Eat It, and I bought that album in 3D, and I listened to it, and I thought Eat It was funny because I knew Beat It, and I thought Brady Bunch was funny because it was based on the safety dance. I knew the safety dance. I knew the Brady Bunch. But I remember he's got a song on that album called Mr. Popeil. And even making fun of Ron Popeil and his infomercials and even putting aside my limited familiarity with Ron Popeil, I later discovered that was a style parody of the B-52s, right? That's what Weird Al does. He'll do a song often in addition to the edits of the world and the, the word crimes and things like that. He'll do a song that's a style parody. It's not a parody of a particular song. It's a parody of a band and an act. So I didn't get it because I didn't know who the B-52s were. But I think about it now, like Weird Al's last album from 10 years ago, and my favorite song is a song called First World Problems, and it's a style parody of the Pixies. And part of the reason I love that song is because I love, love the Pixies. So this is my way of saying I don't think I'd be that into it because I'm not and never was and never would be into Eurodance. So, you know, to really con a song like this to connect with me has to be a parody of a genre I like. So when his album comes out, it'll be interesting, right? I might give it a listen. And, you know, if he's got parodies of things I'm interested in, styles I'm interested in, if he does a punk parody or a new wave parody or a, you know, a, a, a post-punk, God, there's so few genres I'm really, uh, uh, how about this? Uh, uh, 
60s psychedelic parody, uh, I might be more interested. His album is a um, a shotgun blast of style parodies. I watched the ta- the teaser for that, and he goes through. Really, it's, it's a to- teaser for the album. I wasn't aware of that. It's almost listed by um, genre because there's an emo punk, there's a bossa nova, there's folk. It's like he really is. He's writing in a number of different styles, so it, it's heavily informed by what's what's come before him. Um, so I mean, you know, you, you may your, your mileage may vary. You may find some some traction, um, but you know, as to, I, I think that. Because this is reminiscent of Bo Burnham and Lonely Island, let's think about it. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned right. weird weird uh, is one, you know, uh, weird yeah. weird as we call them weird as we call them. Yeah, I, I was surprised to hear that that people call them weird. That that's how he prefers to be called by people. But anyway, I, I kind of dig it though. Yeah, Bo Burnham and Lonely Island are the more you know modern conceptions of this in terms of um, you know they really push Lonely Island does style like they almost from album to album they kind of change their style but it's not really making fun of anything so much as it is like comedy songs like novelty songs per se and Bo Burnham mostly comes up with things that sound like musical theater in terms of their wordplay like Tom Lehrer type songs but it's based yes. on they're based he's on he's very Tom Lehrer Bo Burnham yeah. yeah and these are these are comedians who do you know they interdisciplinary and they have all these different things Bo Burnham goes between that and feature filmmaking and you know they're all they, things are great so you know the, the idea of broad yet well-made parody really has got some traction with me i'll use that term again um i think i would have liked that particular part of it and you know exactly to the point that you're saying i would i really vibe with that music that was i'll take you yeah. back noah yeah uh yeah i guess i i'm always surprised when you say this but you said that in our first edm episode you talked let's about. go back to 89 90 91 right this is before um ever before the world changed on on Nevermind coming out and and you know pearl jams 10 and whatever whatever was the sort of prevailing ethos lodestone for our generation you know, uh, a lot of what was popular in MTV, let's say if that's the me- music, you know, was a lot of like hair metal and stuff like that. Really, hip hop hadn't gone out. They really they weren't sure rap other than late at night at 10 p.m. because it was almost like well, con- yeah, contraband. Uh, was it still because there's that famous story? They shoved Yo MTV raps to like three in the morning and it was a hit anyway. Yeah. So yeah, when but- did when did they start putting it at like? normal human hours oh i think like in like 91 or 90 or 91 or something like that that's when ed, ed lover and dr dre became you know they had they, they headlined a, a movie of their own called who's the man that our friend john corblaw loved that movie he recommended it to me yeah um anyway but they like that's the sound of european dance music and american house music and chicago house music coming through my 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 long island bedroom over over clock radio speakers noah because i didn't even have a real radio i tuned it into listening to whatever little bits and pieces i could get uh, off did you have airways. a cassette player did you have a cd player when did you i got a cd just player. Had a clock radio 1993 i got a cd player yeah you didn't get a cd player till 1993 this is actually just one song on a whole album mm-hmm. that's going to be coming out in the fall is any way our culture's journey to the planet of the base is there any aspect of that that augurs the end of humanity. Uh, no, I think this is a familiar manner by which to sell oneself as a comedian. Um, you know, this is a process, I think, as old as entertainment and comedy itself. Um, 
In fact, I put in my notes here, Noah, that this is kind of the modern vaudeville, for lack of a better term. And maybe that's not exactly a great term, but it's like there's an idea of selling yourself as a song and dance band, a little soft shoe, a little gag, you know, baggy pants. Uh, what is it? Baggy yeah. pants. Musician. Little song, a little dance, a little seltzer in your pants. Yeah. And, you know, th this is kind of like really doing an old school Dick Van Dyke with a cane or, or you know, whoever else was sort of traveling from town right. to town in the Midwest. This is an old form. I don't and think... Dick Van Dyke was a, I don't think Dick Van Dyke was a vaudeville guy. But he's in the vaudeville tradition. He did, he was a master of all the forms at the vaudeville. Like, that was his influence, guys like that, you know? All right, yeah, no, so, uh, signing the apocalypse. No, no way. Parody's good for us, you know? It's funny, and it's, at worst, it's harmless. And like I said, like, as much as I don't think this is, like, changing the world, let alone Weird Al level, this is very valid parody. He gets the details right, and it's something worth parodying because it's kind of ridiculous. That music's kind of silly now that we look back at it. And of all the topics we've looked at in the history of the show, of all the topics we looked at that don't suck, this might be the number one thing I'd be most surprised by if it had staying power. Does that make sense? So, like, parcel out the things that we've looked at that aren't actively bad, you know, the things that are awesome, the things that are harmless. And of those things, I think this has the least staying power. So that's my way of saying, I think it's highly, highly likely that this thing, you know, is cultural, you know, candy, uh, cotton candy. It'll come and go. It will not leave an imprint on culture for good or ill. So by that token, it is definitely not apocalyptic. Noah, let's pivot to our back nine. Uh, let's talk about the topics of jealousy and the felonian scale. You tell me where envy comes into all of this for you. Well, I'm absolutely jealous of this dude. You know, once he said, oh, I was with other comedians at a house upstate. So those of you who don't know, I spent, I mean, a long time ago now, I spent approximately three years trying to make it as a comedian in New York. I had done improv in college. I thought it was an improv hotshot. I came to New York. I realized I wasn't. And you can get far with improv there. And I tried stand-up and then character work, even a little like this. And, you know, I thought I had something, but I never got off the launchy pad. I certainly never got invited to the house upstate. And looking at this guy who, for as much as I don't think this is bad, like I said, I just don't think he has it. Like reading that interview in Variety and, and watching an interview with him on ABC News, he's just something, he doesn't have that it factor. And the fact that he's, you know, exceeded where I went back then with this by a million miles just makes me realize how fucking far I was from making it. Like, much farther than I realized at the time. And uh, so I'm jealous. I guess I'm jealous that he, he's gone so far with so little and that I didn't even come close to that. There's another quote from him from Variety that, that I like. He says... Uh, so if I could do more projects where people are like, okay, Kyle, here's a bunch of money. Do whatever you want. Come back when you're done. That's my dream. And come on, that's every creative person's dream, right? I mean, I'm, I run a creative business now and while well, I think it's a success, you know, there's a million other things in a perfect world I'd love to do with it. So of course that's my dream. And the fact that this guy, you know, even though he doesn't have the it factor, seems in a good position to actually achieve at least some aspect of that dream, I'm jealous of that. And I feel bad because there's nothing wrong with him. And 
maybe the album will be good, but I feel bad there's a part of me that's hoping it'll bomb. So I'm definitely jealous of this guy. I'm, I'm sorry. I ain't perfect, friends. I ain't perfect. Well, I noticed that me and uh, Mr. Kyle Gordon, the race car driver, have almost 60 Facebook friends in common. Uh, going back, uh, like I said, really? from the New York Comics. Are you serious? Scene. Yeah. So, yeah, this guy is entirely impossible. Entirely possible, not impossible. That he would have been a comedian I would have collaborated with, I would say, back five to ten years when I was kind of still looking up that kind of work or working as a cameraman slash create a partner with people who were churning out ideas, who were making scripts for small, you know, small bits and pieces, sketches, things like that, character bits, auditions for Just for Laughs. That was a lot of what I did with, you know, people I met through the Magnet. You know, my friend John Bander, guys like that, who I thought real, just stellar, stellar comedians doing character work. Speaking of which, I looked it up. I have only three friends in common with Kyle Gordon, one of them being John Bander. Okay, see, that makes sense. Um... You know, I, I worked for free with people who I thought had an upside uh, toward viral fame, potentially. Um, I don't regret it. It was it was really fun stuff. It was me shooting. It was me editing. It was me, you know, doing a lot of production work on and hoping people realize their vision. So the thing is, this doesn't help me now. But in the recent past, um, a Kyle Gordon would have been somebody I looked at. With a little bit of like the wolf with the uh, napkin around his neck, pulling out the fork and the knife of like, this is someone I want to get to know because he can help my career as a filmmaker and a videographer. So I would say- Wait, what? The wolf with the- What are you talking about? The hungry hungry wolf from Warner Brothers or from Woody Woodpecker who's looking at like the bird or something he wants to eat. He puts the napkin around his neck and he starts salivating. Like that's the kind of- You wouldn't want to eat this guy? What is? What are you saying? I don't get it. It's, it's, forget it. It's, it's all right. You weren't there for your childhood, so you didn't right. see I don't. I don't. The metaphor didn't click with me, friend. That's what's going on here. Okay. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I would have looked at him as, as something that could have helped my career, even though what he's doing in particular is not in my arena. It's something that would have been enjoyable, nonetheless. Anyway. Uh, so, finally, that puts us uh, to the felonious scale, Noah. I, I need you to rank yes. this for me. I need you to rank it the way only you can rank it uh, on all of our Always, XYZ Only ISIS. I can. Yes. Right. Okay. So here you go with this. I I think it is very somewhere in the realm, in the bubble of the things that are all right, creative, but I'm going to forget about them 30 seconds later. And also because there's, you know, decent work behind it, it's, it's somewhere between, you know, the, the big money things and the, and the little amateurish things. So you take the average of the back rooms. Remember the back rooms? Yeah, I love the back rooms. Back rooms. Average of the back rooms. Avatar 2, which, come on, it's now like the third highest grossing movie ever. Has anyone thought about it since it came out? Not for a second. This is what's wrong with our culture. The average of the back rooms, Avatar 2, Goncharov, and Love Shack Fancy. Get the average of those four things and subtract 71.83E. The constant E. 71.83. That's, that's when all my, that's the age all my grandparents died. Almost like it was predestined. 71.83 E. Oh, yeah. E, okay. And uh, when you do all those calculations, use your T-square, use your graphing calculator, you know, use your compass. And when you do all that calculating, you will arrive on the XYZ axis at the location of the planet of the base. I say 
Pickleball, Noah. Pickleball. <laughs> pickleball. Uh, pickleball. Hey, that's not something that's fading away. Everyone's talking about. I hear about pickleball every fucking day. Oh, I do not, but it's not the point. My point is, is that pickleball was a popular enough thing with young people. Um, it looks like fun. We talked about it. We saw the upside. Our friend Andy, our mutual friend Andy, is a pickleball trainer and coach and all those yes. things. Um, yep. However, as far as I'm concerned, it's not something I ever need to see a single bit more in my life to continue along necessarily and have a positive, happy life. I can live in the absence of pickleball. I'm yes. glad, but I'm I, glad that other people get draw some attention or draw some. Bill, happiness. I can, I can probably live in the absence of every topic we've. Is there literally any topic we've talked about that if it disappeared from the earth, your life would be measurably worse? Sourdough bread. You eat a lot of sourdough bread. These no, days? I, I want to though. I really, I'm looking, I'm looking to get into <laughs> sourdough bread. Probably not that hard, my friend. You don't need to make it. You could probably go out and buy it. I'm trying to crack in it a, in a reasonably civilized city like Amsterdam. Trying to crack it. It's not working out for me, though. Really? They don't... Sourdough's not a Dutch thing? No, they don't really have sourdough here. It's not really a thing. Do you know about... There's a bread I'd never heard of until I moved to San Francisco called Dutch Crunch. It's like a San Francisco thing. And I've lived here eight years, and I'm still not even sure what it is, but it's kind of like a sourdough roll, I think. I might be way off. Have you heard of this Dutch Crunch? Well, they wouldn't call it... Whatever that is, they don't call no, it that they, here. They no, they just call it Crunch. Right. They don't have crunch. That's anyway. not it's not the onomatopoeia the Dutch use. But in they, any don't, case. they don't they don't have crunch. They have uh, they have uh, Mornch. New York Sports Club. M O umlaut R N C H. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is funny. Onomatopoeias are different, and like how animals say different things in other languages. Here, you know what they say? What ca- what they describe? What cows say in Holland is boo b o o. Really? Yeah. It's perfect. I always like learning in French. Ducks say quan quan, and they spell it c o i n c o i n. And in Spanish, a rooster says "kirikirikirikirika." I disagree, but that's you know that's not for me to say. Why do you, well, you disagree with the entire Spanish-speaking world? Yeah, in this case, all of wrong. Latin America except Brazil, the country of Spain. By the way, I'm still doing Duolingo. I'm still doing Spanish and Duolingo every day. I haven't missed it. I'm getting good. All right, everybody. Past episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. I am on uh, Twitter X. We're going to call ourselves William Scurry for the moment. I am on Instagram. I am on Blue Sky. I am on Facebook. Yeah, you are. Are you on Blue? Are you using Blue Sky? Uh, I'm kidding out of. I'm not really using it, but I am. I'm double posting and triple posting everything to all my social media. But I'm not really using it so far. But I am curating an account for the futures in case I'll have a life there if I need it. I've given up on Threads and Instagram for the moment. Yeah, so. I think I think Threads was a bust. It's too bad for them, but it didn't. It's really, really sad. Yeah. It's really sad. That 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 Mark Zuckerberg guy, you know, seems like a good dude. He maybe, really deserves to catch a break. Maybe something will happen with him someday. We don't know. Well, maybe once he punches Elon Musk in the face, his life will. So, uh, my uh, look for YouTube.com/slash/AMC. You'll see my video production work. Uh, recently, I collaborated with Atomic Abe, which is some friends of ours, Nick Nadell and Kevin Marr, who do TV pop culture stuff. We made a um, about an 11 minute long uh, video about anthology TV shows as through the lens of Orson Welles. People, it's great. It's people, really people good. People have video. a lot of opinions about Orson Welles, I found, Noah. Some appeal there for some reason. It's very weird. I, he was talking about someone with star power. Orson Welles was awesome, man. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm, I just, but he's been dead since 1985, and yet people still can't talk about the stuff. Can't stop talking about the guy. It's very bizarre. I mean, people can't still can't stop talking about freaking George Washington. I mean, come on. Some people are important, my friend. Maybe they are. All right, so where can people find you? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm nobody. I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> Throw your stones. He's nobody. Uh, go to bigquizthing.com. That is my business, the big quiz thing. America's finest source of corporate and private trivia events nationwide, worldwide, in-person, virtually hybrid. Um, got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, we, we just booked our first event in the state of Missouri. That will be our 32nd state. Uh, my goal is to have it performed in every state before um, either I die or the world comes to an end. And we have our next uh, midday trivia break. We've been doing a series of public virtual try before you buy one hour breaking up your boring Wednesday afternoon uh, spectacular trivia games. Uh, our next one is October 4th, Wednesday, October 4th. Uh, sign up. It's free uh, on our website, bigquizthing.com, uh, hosted by me. I will see you there. Uh, learn all about the magic of trivia goodness via the Big Quiz. All right, everybody. So until the next episode, we'll re release a note-perfect send-up of all of Lawrence Welk's music. We, we don't, don't get it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.